Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. All right, we're going to look to the Word of God this evening. Our purpose is to create an atmosphere in which our faith can rise to a higher level and uh, we can create an atmosphere in which God can move and manifest His glory and power to bring healing into our lives. You know, Jesus said, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Notice you have to believe. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God manifested in various ways as we believe. And so we want to continue seeing to it that our faith level rises higher and higher, more and more, so we can experience all the things that God has provided for us, and we can see that glory and great manifestation. And also in these last days, you know, we need to be healthy. Anybody want to be healthy? Or do you want to be sick? Who likes being sick? We like being healthy, right? So that we can have our strength to honor God, to serve Him, and live our lives for Him and advance His kingdom. So, all right, in the beginning here, as you see in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10, I would believe that you would know those scriptures by now, but if not, I'll just share them with you. It says, but what saith it? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so here we see the operation of faith involves the heart, and the mouth of the believer. The heart and the mouth of the believer. How do we get saved? Believing in our heart and saying with our mouth. Not works that we do, not our own effort, but we believe the works of Jesus and what He did, and we echo what He did, we believe what He did, we say what He did. You died for me, you bore my sin, and as a result, I'm accepting you as my Savior. And what happens? We are saved. Well, the same thing is true with regard to healing, and sometimes we forget that. He's also our healer. And the word saved actually means that. He is our Savior, healer, deliverer, preserver, the one who makes us whole. And how does faith operate in the realm of healing? The same way. I believe it with my heart. I say it with my mouth. The words we speak are powerful containers of life or death. I believe it, therefore I say it. Paul says, we believe, therefore we speak. And so that's the operation of faith, and it works in every realm, whether we're being blessed financially, whether we need strength to minister, whatever it might be, that's how it works. But notice in our first paragraph, if the faith that saves is the same faith that heals, and those are your two words, I'll pause for a moment, then why does it seem as though receiving salvation for the spiritual condition of man is much easier, is your next word, than receiving healing for the physical condition of man? Why is that? We need to answer that. Well, because salvation uh, of the spirit occurs in the spiritual or at the spiritual level with no transformation, is your next word, occurring in man's mental or physical condition. It's a spiritual level. Your spirit is born again. You receive the life and the nature of God in your spirit. But Paul then went on to talk about something that we have to do with our soul, our mind, will, emotions, and intellect, and our bodies. And so, because they're not dealt with, we have a different need. Notice, this is why our minds need renewed and our bodies need presented to God as living sacrifices. So, renewing our mind is your next word would be unnecessary if we got a new one when we got saved. Wouldn't that be great if we got a new mind when we got saved? Wouldn't it? If your mind was instantly, totally renewed like Adam's in the very beginning. And then secondly, you notice under point B, crucifying our flesh would be unnecessary if we got a new body when we got saved. There'd be no need. We wouldn't even need healing if we got a glorified body, now would we? No. So, salvation is manifested at the level, the spiritual level, but the soul needs to be renewed to the Word of God, and the body needs to be kept under or dealt with. And so it's up to us to do our part to cooperate with God so He can get what's on the inside of us to the outside of us. So what's on the inside in spirit 
needs to manifest through the soul, that's the conduit, to get the healing and power of God into our physical bodies to make us whole. That is what's necessary. Now, look, you can get it from the outside in, too. You realize that you can go to a church service and you can get, let's say, a manifestation of the Spirit that's in operation, maybe a gift of the Spirit that's in operation, and when that takes place, a person can get healed, but it didn't come from them. It didn't come from their belief, their understanding. It could be just a spiritual gift. And so that's a wonderful thing. I remember one time when I was, um, this was way back in Youngstown. So in my Youngstown days, when I was preaching, one of the first messages I preached when I came home from Bible school was actually during the, it was during Christmas season. And so I went to this particular church where they asked me to speak. And I was just standing there, just as it was start, starting. And all of a sudden, a gift, uh, let's say the word of knowledge came upon me. And I said, somebody's sitting out there and you're really troubled. You've got this pain in your back and it's awful. And the Lord wants to, you to be comfortable while you're listening to the message this evening. So if that's you, come on up here. I'm going to pray for you. Well, this woman came up. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know hardly anybody there. She comes walking up. I was going to pray for her. But as she got close to me, the power of God hit her. I went to lay hands on her. And she just was on the floor by herself. No catchers. And we're talking about a storefront floor. And it's tile floor, cement underneath the tile. And she hits the ground. Her glasses go flying off of her. And... I don't know what to think. I'm like, oh, why? Why me? She gets up and she goes, oh, thank God I'm healed. Hallelujah. All the pain is gone. I'm delivered. She was just so excited. But the best part of it is this. She wasn't even a believer. She wasn't a Christian. She actually was standing on the outside of the storefront and she was looking, peering into to see if she wanted to even come into the service and she started to leave. And as she's starting to walk away, a couple that were, they were coming to the service as well, stopped and said, what's the matter? Where are you going? Well, I don't know. I've never been to a place like this before. Said, come on in. You'll enjoy yourself. You'll like it. Come on. You have a good time. So they encouraged her to come in. She sat down in the chair. I don't know her. They don't know her. And boom, she's instantly healed by the power of God. So that wasn't obviously her faith in operation. She didn't even want to be there. No, so those things can happen, and we thank God for that. And we need them because they are like a billboard, like a calling card that brings people in to come and receive from God. But because a person gets delivered, set free, and healed by the power of God that way, they're now responsible to do what? Give their hearts, give their lives to Jesus, get their minds renewed to the Word of God, present their body to God as a living sacrifice, which is their spiritual duty and service, right? You see, we've got a lot to do on our end as well. But the point being that... We need to get into God's word to renew our mind so that we can be the, that, that can be the conduit to get what's on the inside of us to the outside of us, to our flesh. And that's why it seems to be more difficult. Because you see, there's other, some, some other factors here. Let's, let's read on. Under point C, we can't see the change that occurs within when we get saved, but we know we were saved because we choose to believe God's word. How do you know you're saved? You can't go by feelings. Do you feel saved every day? How about the rest of you? <laughs> you feel saved every day? Do you look saved every day? You're saved because you called upon the name of the Lord and you believed in your heart that what you said with your mouth, God honored and you're a child of God. And no one can take that away from you because you know that you know that you know you're saved. Of course, we have the manifestation of the love of God that shed abroad in our hearts and we know we pass from life, from death to life. We know that and we know we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. Love that we never had before and so we know that. But the point is, no matter what, even if you feel on your ugliest day, I don't feel like I'm saved. You're saved because you believe God's word. Right. Well, the healing is the same thing. Under point D, this is why we walk by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians 5 verse 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Because if we walk by sight, ugh, it wouldn't be good, would it? If we just walk by sight, our senses, if our five senses dictated to our lives, We'd never make it. Okay, you got all those words? Under point three, in physical healing, we are looking for God to deal with our physical condition where we, and here they are, feel, is your first word, feel, feelings, taste, number two, smell, hear, and the last one is see. So those are our five senses 
And those five senses have been given to us by God to navigate through this life. And aren't you glad that you see things in the natural world and hear some things? Especially in today's society with all these iPhones and cell phones and all that. And you're walking down the street and whatever, you're crossing the street and you're looking down and you're looking at your note or you're looking at your text messages and all of a sudden you hear a car coming. Aren't you glad you've got ears to hear with? And then you stop, not realizing, oh, well, I'm walking into a street looking with my head down and all that. So the sense of hearing is, is helpful. So we thank God for our five physical senses because they help us navigate through life. But someone has once said, faith is our sixth sense. It's the sixth sense. It is not based on the five physical senses that we have. We don't have to, let's say, ask our five physical senses if they agree with God's word. We don't need to do that. Matter of fact, to consult our five physical senses is almost an insult to God if we have to consult them to determine whether or not God is faithful or God is true. And so walking and living by faith involves the ability for us to somewhat detach from the five senses and say, there is a, a law that's higher than these senses. It's called the law of faith. And the law of faith overrides our five physical senses. Once again, we go, for example, to Joshua. How can walking around the wall seven times on the seventh day bring down walls? It makes no logical sense. Our reasoning is involved in this. If, if it's illogical, then I'm not going to do that. Peter, how are you going to get on a boat and walk on water? You're kidding me. If you went by your five physical senses, you would never do that. Absolutely not. Well, when it comes to our sixth sense, which is trusting God, there needs to be a development of an intimate relationship with God so that we know Him. We know He cannot lie. We know His word is true. We know that He is faithful to His promise. And we take the promise of God and we act upon the promise of God. We believe the promise of God. We receive the promise of God. And we watch God make the promise good. And even though it's illogical, we still believe it. So our five physical senses don't have to be consulted to determine whether or not God's faithful and true. So it's up to us to recognize our need to walk by faith and not by sight. Under point eight, under two, for God, uh, this is no problem or big adjustment. We understand that. But for us, under point B, faith becomes a bigger challenge is your word. Why? Because every day we face evidences that contradict the word of God. Do we not? It could be the, let's say, the uh, voice of a doctor, the voice of a philosopher, the voice of your body, your feelings and all that. Whatever it might be, it contradicts what God's word says. And constantly there's a, a warfare taking place with, between the ears, within our brains... One leaning one way and one leaning another way. Now, what does Proverbs 3 and verse 5 say? Trust the Lord with all your what? Heart. Lean not toward the way of your what? Understanding. That's the warfare that we're in. That's fighting the good fight of faith. Because our five senses want to lean toward our understanding, what's reasonable and logical. But our heart says, all that may be true, but there's a higher truth over here. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? A revelation of with his stripes we were healed is what we need to have. And we need to know. Because our five physical senses say something else. That's illogical. You know, when I was younger and I was visiting with someone, I was at that time not even born again, but he came up to me and just said, can you believe that some of these people call themselves Christians can actually think they could just lay a hand on somebody and they would recover and they'd be healed? He said, isn't that ridiculous? I said, absolutely, that's crazy. I didn't know any better. Who would, who, who would think that I'd be doing it so many years later and say it's just a common and natural thing as far as I'm concerned. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Look at how we change over the years. Our perspective changed over the years. Our thoughts and attitudes changed over the years. And even growing up in some circles where you've been taught against laying hands on the sick that they might recover as Christians, or you think that it's passed away with the last apostle, what do you do? 
The gospel you hear is the gospel you live by. And if you hear what is not true, you will live by that untruth. For example, being filled with the Holy Ghost. There was this uh, young lady that this was years ago when the church was still in Midland. And she came uh, to the church uh, with her boyfriend. And her father's a Baptist minister. And that Baptist minister taught against being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. And she grew up in that. She was like 20 years old. She grew up in that and did not believe it was for us today. And anyone that practices that and gets involved in that is either they're led by demons and demon spirits or they're under the influence of darkness and all that sort of thing because they were improperly taught what the Word of God teaches about the subject. And so, you know, having come to our church and, and seeing people get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues, she had confronted me and asked me about it. And I just said, well, if you want, I'll sit down with you. We will talk. And I want to give you nothing but Scripture. We'll go over line upon line, precept upon precept, are you willing to do that with me? And she said, yep, absolutely. I said, okay. See, to her, it was taboo. To her, it was demonic. To her, it was wrong. And she would never challenge her father, but he's a Baptist minister, and they don't believe in it. So I sat with her. We were all together, her, her boyfriend, and we sat and talked. I went through every scripture that I could find to show her about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, how it's a second work, it's subsequent to salvation, and... As a Christian, you can be born again when you're, when you're born again. Then you can receive the Holy Spirit and got through all the scriptures. And then she said, okay, I thank you for this. I will go home and I will meditate them. And she did. She honored her word. She went home. She meditated all those scriptures. And she came to our next Sunday night service. And when she did, she, I gave an altar call. She walked right up to the altar. I just stood there in front of her and I just said, what do you believe? She said, you know what? I grew up against this, but I'm telling you right now with all those verses that I see for myself in the Bible, it's for me, pray for me, and I will be filled with the Holy Ghost. I did. And here's the, here's the marvel of it. This young lady, she spoke a heavenly language so beautifully. Beautifully. I mean, it just flowed out of her. I just stood back and watched and listened to what she was doing. It was absolutely beautiful. Revolutionized her life. See, the gospel you hear is the gospel you live by. And if we hear wrong, we're not going to have faith in the right thing. So that's why teaching is so essential. Uh, In John's gospel, chapter 20. uh, Did you get all those other words? Okay. Point C. This is where the quality of our faith is challenged. Our faith must be strong enough to exalt God's word above things that appear more real to us. How important is that? Now, what does John 20 say? You can look them up later, but this is the conversation that Thomas, Jesus had with Thomas and said, Thomas, here I am. Go ahead, put your finger in, into my palm of my hand. Put your finger into my side. Thrust your hand on my side. Be not unbelieving, but believe. He said, Lord, I believe, I believe. And Jesus said to him, what? Thomas, you believe because you saw, but blessed are they who without seeing, five senses, believe. Without seeing. See, faith is all about believing you have something that you don't see. That's what it's all about. It's oftentimes confusing to people. Why? Because it's illogical. Because it's unreasonable. For example, I prayed for my arm to be healed. And I'm saying, I believe I received my healing. And therefore, I call myself healed. That's how faith works. Then an hour later, when the devil comes along and says, once you feel you're not healed, well, wait a minute. I'm either going to fall victim to that and just say, well, you're right. I don't feel healed, so I mustn't be healed. See, that's where the fight of faith starts. You're supposed to say, no, 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 no. You're too late. I prayed, and therefore, I call myself healed by the stripes of Jesus. There's going to be that period of time from which you, when you prayed until it manifests in reality, there's going to be that time that we call the fight of faith. It's like being in the wilderness and how we act is going to determine whether or not we have the realization of what we ask God for. And the enemy is going to try to just take us out of that realm like Peter walking on the water to distract us in many different ways so that we don't stay in faith, focused in faith. What do we do? We lean right over to our understanding. I don't feel well. I don't feel better. And it's been a day and a half. See, we want everything instant. Every 30, in 30 seconds, I want my miracle done just like that. That's not how faith works. 
It's not how faith works. You believe you have it, you take a hold of it, and do not let go for anyone, anything. You declare that you have it. If you recall the story, and you should, coming to this church, uh, Jesus cursing the fig tree in Mark's gospel, right? Remember that story, Mark 11, 12 through 24? And he cursed the fig tree, cursed it, which means he spoke against, spoke death to it. We'll say it that way. Well, they heard him. They probably thought, hey, Peter, did he just talk to a tree? Yeah, John, I'm, I, I thought the guy was cool, but I don't know. He's talking to a tree. There's something wrong with him. I heard him. Yeah, James. Yeah, he said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. But look at the tree. It's unchanged. It still has got leaves. It still like, looks like it didn't. So they go off to the temple. Spend some time there. Then they come back, right back by the same place. Tree still looks the same. Hasn't changed one iota. Still the same. I wonder why he did that. This is crazy. Well, then they go to sleep. Then they get up. And the next day they go walking by again. You know, isn't this something how Jesus doesn't even pay attention to it? And they say, Peter, says to Jesus, Jesus, the fig tree you cursed yesterday is withered away. Look at What's Jesus say? Does he go spastic and shout and all that? Oh, I knew it would work. No. No. Nothing like that. He says, oh, have the faith of God. For verily I say to you, if you were to say to that mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that what you say will come to pass, you will have whatever you say. Therefore I say to you, whatever you desire when you pray, believe you have received them and you shall have them. In one breath, what does he do? He teaches us the biggest lesson we could ever learn on faith and about faith. Faith is the faith of God. That's how God does it, and that's how you're supposed to do it. Who wants to be God-like? Who wants to act like God? Who wants to live like God? Who wants to follow the example of Jesus and do what Jesus did? He cursed the fig tree and walked away and walked by it again and just kept on walking and walked by again. And when they pointed it out, it was like, no biggie. Why? Because he understood that there are two rounds that we deal with. The visible and the invisible. The visible, they kept seeing the tree unchanged. But Jesus wasn't speaking to the leaves. He was speaking to the very life of the tree, the root system of the tree that they could not see. And as far as he was concerned, it's words that brought that tree into existence. It's words that upholds it and keeps it the way it is. And once he spoke the word and said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, as far as he was concerned, it heard him. That tree heard him say those words. And it wasn't but a matter of time that it dried up by the root. He wasn't moved by any sight of it after he spoke those words. Can you imagine that kind of disciplined faith? What would be the challenge for us? Yeah, the leaves still look the same. We keep looking at it. Oh, not oh my, it hasn't changed. I still feel it. I still see it. And we're so distracted because this becomes bigger than how we see the word. Faith is all about developing the sixth sense to say, I said it because it's the word of God. I'm calling it as not as though it was. Calling things that be not as though they were is how faith operates. So I'm calling my arm healed. But you don't look healed. I'm calling my arm healed. But you don't feel healed. I'm calling my arm healed because yesterday I prayed. I believed I received it. And guess what? God can't lie. I'll do my part. God will do his part. My part is to say I believe I receive it and therefore I have it. And I am not backing off of my faith for anything or anyone. That's the walk of faith. I'll tell you what, it's a challenge, but without, without a doubt, we can't let things that appear be more real to us than the Word of God and, most importantly, the work of Jesus. Okay, look at the next one. In Matthew 14, this is the Peter's walk on the water. Peter's failure occurred, the word is failure, because his focus shifted from the word come to what his senses began saying to him. Well, 
How many of you would have gotten out of the boat? Anyone? We'd like to think we would, but of the twelve, only one did. Right? And that was Peter. Can you imagine? Maybe if it was calm, you might think you would get out. Would you do that if it was calm? But when you got 30-foot swells and you get out, it doesn't matter if it's swell or not, if it's water. <laughs> what does he do? Bid me to come. Jesus gives one word. Can you imagine one word from the mouth of Jesus that he acted on? And by acting on that one word, he defied the law of gravity. And as long as his focus and attention was on that one word, he was walking on water. But why is this in the Bible? Why has the Holy Spirit made it clear to us that this is something that's so important you need to learn about it? Because he knew how we could easily be distracted from the word come or even the word you're healed and focus our attention on these other distracting things. But when he saw the wind and the waves and the sea and, and all of a sudden focus on what am I doing here? You see, the miracle then began to stop. His walk on the water, he began to lose ground. And now he's beginning to sink. Okay, but we have to certainly give him all the credit in the world for getting out of the boat and even walking on the water. But Jesus called that what kind of faith? Little faith. What's that tell us? It wasn't enough faith to consummate the miracle. You think that couldn't happen to us as well? Faith to consummate the miracle. If he would have stayed focused on the word come and not got distracted, he would have consummated the miracle and got back into the boat with Jesus. Okay, under E, healing is a benefit of the cross. But it requires a catalyst to make it happen. So it's a benefit. Jesus paid for it. That catalyst is unwavering faith. Unwavering faith. I have to admit to you that even in my walk of faith, if I get a sniffle here or there or a cough or whatever and that sort of thing, I don't think I apply myself as well as I should sometimes. Because, you know, you're going to get over it in a few days and that sort of thing. But when they said Andrew can't live, and they said he doesn't have a left pulmonary artery, how many of you know that you shift gears? When your back is up against the wall and they tell you your son's going to die, he can't live, can he, we'll bring him here, let him die in your arms or die in surgery, take your pick. That was it. To them, it was a done deal. You talk about your five physical senses, highly in operation. And then you're standing there with a lump in your throat, holding back all your emotions and saying, doctors, do what you have to do. We believe God. We believe God. And you talk about staying focused because you see now it's a fight for your life, for your son's life. And you're not just going to just, oh, maybe did I remember, did I remember the thank the Lord for his left There's no thought of that. In the name of Jesus, you have a left pulmonary artery. It is growing. It is open. It is whole. In the name of Jesus, every single day, every waking moment, every thought, when you think about it at all, I call you healed. You have a left pulmonary artery. We ask God for one, and you've got one. Because if you ask and you believe you receive, you shall have. And so we say you have one. They say you don't. We say you do. And isn't it amazing it took nine months? It takes nine months for a baby's body to be, you know, delivered. But in nine months, he grew a left pulmonary artery to normal size, and it was whole. And they told us back at the very beginning that this, this can't happen. Well, thank God, with God, all things are possible. And with man, we understand that it couldn't happen. But we're dealing with God, not just man. So the reason we can exalt God's word above physical evidences is because things seen are temporal. While unseen things are eternal. Temporal and eternal. Subject to change, not subject to change. So what is he saying to us? While we look not at the things that are seen, temporal, but the things that are not seen eternal, for the things that are seen are subject to change or temporal, 
But the things that are not seen are unchanging. They're eternal and they never will change. So we're either going to lean toward this or understanding that it can't possibly be because you see medical science says that it's an impossibility. Or we're going to step over here and just say, I know that they said it's a possibility, but there's a higher law, but there's a higher truth. Thank God that he is greater than what man can do. And so we believe, we receive, and we say he has a left pulmonary artery. We call things that be not as though they were, that they might become a reality. So under point A, if we embrace the false teaching that God withholds healing to make us more pious, the words are false and pious, then we've lost the faith battle before it ever starts. This is God doing this to me. Well, if you think God's doing it to you, then you'll never stand against that. How are you going to fight against God? That's why the gospel you hear is the gospel you live by, the gospel you embrace. Okay, next one. B, if we believe we must walk in perfect obedience before healing can occur, we will doubt whether we qualify, is your word, to receive healing, or we will think we deserve healing because we're good Christians. Hmm, isn't that interesting? If I don't qualify, how am I going to receive my healing? If I feel I deserve to, receive, to, to be healed, then guess what? I'm walking in pride and arrogance. Both of those are wrong. Both of those views are wrong. I've had people say to me, well, if anybody should be healed, it should be so-and-so because she's done this, 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 and this. That means you say she deserves to be healed? Well, you see, that's not God's view. No one deserves anything. That's what grace is all about. It's not what she did or can do. It's about what Jesus did. You see, healing is all about what he did, not what we do. So we can never walk perfect to deserve it, so we understand that. But if we feel like as though we shouldn't get it because we're not qualified, then guess what? The devil wins again. But if we believe this, I am born again, I'm a child of God, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I know I have a covenant with a covenant-keeping God who cannot and will not lie. And so therefore, I'm not perfect, but praise God, He is. And I'm basing my faith on the perfection of Jesus Christ. And right now, right here, I'm walking to the throne of God to obtain mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. And Jesus, right now I know you did it for me, and so by your stripes I declare I am healed because of what you've done. You qualify. Me, to receive healing, not me. And my behavior doesn't disqualify me just because I didn't, just because I missed the mark. Now, you need to confess your sin, but I'm saying, you're not going to live a perfect life. No one is. And so we have to understand, we have got to get rid of all that stuff. It'll prevent us from developing our success. Under point C, both of these positions will short-circuit our ability to receive healing from the Lord. Under point D, our faith must be in what Jesus did for us and who he made us when he redeemed us by his blood. Well, we need to get that, don't we? It's what he did for us and it's also what he made us. Oh, thank God. Just, just take a moment to think about what he made you. You are his masterpiece. Designed by his own making. Oh, just handcrafted us into the people that he wants us to be. On the inside, we look so good, it's absolutely hard to imagine. Under point four. As God's children, we are to come boldly to the throne to receive what we desire from God. Beautiful section of scripture, Hebrews 10, 19-23. And basically it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need, because God is, hold fast to what you believe, because God is faithful, okay, to his promises. But I want us to see this clearly. If we have the idea, I need to come to the throne of God, God, you need to heal me because I've been teaching Bible study for 10 years in this church, and I do the this, and I do the that, and whatever, you know, well, then I deserve to be healed. Well, you're not going to get anything. You won't get anywhere based on your merit, and I won't either. So I've got to walk to the throne of God with a true heart, with a full assurance of faith. My heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and my body washed into pure water of the word. I go there and what do I say? What I say is this. As far as I'm concerned, Father, by the precious blood of the Lamb, I have access to your holy throne. I'm here not on my merit. I'm here on the merit of Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord. 
He paid the price for me and I have a right to be here and petition you in His name. That qualifies me to receive from you, to have an audience with you. He is my representation. He is my high priest. He watches over my confession to make it good. And so therefore, I'm coming, I'm asking you to do something for me. Not based on me, based on Him. I'm asking you to heal my body. And guess what? I know it's your will to heal my body, so therefore, what I'm going to say is this. I'm asking according to your will, so I know you hear me, and I know I have the petition I desire of you. So therefore, I'm asking, heal my body, heal my arm. I believe I receive it, and I want to thank you for it, because you are faithful to your promise. You will always make it good. And I walk away. And as I walk away, and the devil comes along and just says, fill your arm. Why? Feel the pain. Why? Where does he want to take me? Down the path of the senses, doesn't he? Your feelings, your emotions, whatever. But you know what? What we should be doing is this. I asked my father for healing. He is faithful to watch over his word and perform it and make it good. I therefore have received my healing. And I know the law, the law of faith. I'm calling things that be not as though they were. I'm calling my arm Healed by the stripes of Jesus. And as far as I'm concerned, devil, you're not going to get me out of the realm of faith into the realm of the senses. Because it may be illogical to you, but as far as I'm concerned, it's logical to me. God's word is a report that's higher than the report of man or of my feelings or of my emotions or anything else. And so I am holding fast my declaration of faith without wavering because faithful is he who promised. Under point A. If you wanted to see a king, you would submit your request and wait to be summoned. If the king refuses, you'll never be summoned. He's the king and you're his loyal subject. Considered inferior to the king. And so therefore, if you're in his, under his reign and he just says, I don't want to see you. You're not, you're not going to have an audience with me. Guess what? You don't get an audience, which means what? You don't get your request. You can't even present it to the king because he doesn't have anything to do with you. All right. Well, under point, uh, uh, let's go on. You would never barge into the king's presence uninvited. You know what happens if you were to do that. Anybody have an idea what might happen to you if you did that? Mm-hmm. Probably, probably decapitation. Well, under point B, we are sons of God. We're not inferior loyal subjects. We are members of the royal family. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. Imagine that. As a king's son, we don't have to wait to be summoned. We can enter the throne at any time and ask whatever we want. We are in Christ and the Father never rejects his own. Oh, isn't that a mouthful right there? What a mouthful. Oh, when people say, when I hear sometimes preachers say, I'm so unworthy to come before you. I want to kind of kick them, you know, where, well, never mind. And just say, get that garbage, that religious jargon out of your vocabulary. What do you mean you're not worthy? Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and made you worthy. He washed you in his own blood, made you an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. You're a king and a priest before Almighty God. What do you mean? The blood has paved the way for us to enter the throne of God as the sons and daughters of the Most High. And you're saying, I am so unworthy. You see, you don't appreciate what Jesus did for you then. This has nothing to do with you, whether you're worthy or not. It's he's worthy. And because he's worthy, he made you worthy. And you can walk right up to the throne, praise God, and ask or petition your father as a son or a daughter. And there's somewhere I read in my Bible that mm, if I looked hard, I'd locate it. It says that if you being evil will give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, Give good things to them who ask him. What a relationship. That's Matthew 7, 7 through 11. You can read it for yourself. That's what it says. So what are we saying? You have access to the throne of grace. You have access by the merits of Jesus.
to walk right under the throne and just say, Father, I'm asking for healing in my body. Okay, where are we at? Uh, See? The throne room door is open, but faith is required to enter in and receive what is needed from God. All right. So the door is open. It's a matter of us just entering in with a true heart. That means sincerely with full assurance of faith. That means we know the word and have an understanding of redemption and who we are in Christ and what we have in him. Your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. There's no guilt there like, oh, was I good enough? No, you're never going to be good enough. So stop thinking that way. But Jesus was good enough. That's the only way you could think right. You realize that? You'll never be good enough. I'll never be good enough. But Jesus was good enough and he made this possible. All right. The woman with the issue of blood. See, faith is required is what we're saying here. Some conclusions can be made about this woman. Under point A, Jesus was not in control of this healing. As a matter of fact, he was thronged by people. Was he not? Did he even know that she touched him? He knew someone touched him, but he didn't know who. Okay, so he wasn't in control of the healing. He did nothing to initiate it. Who did? She did. Under point B, Jesus took no credit for the healing. You realize that? He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. He credits her faith. Jesus was the source of healing power, is your next word. But her faith was necessary to draw it out. He was the carrier of the healing anointing, but she drew it out. Under point two, God's healing power is available today. It's available to all of us today. God is not sitting in heaven deciding who gets healed and who doesn't. Mm, uh -uh. Mm -mm. Not her. Mm -mm. Not him. Nah. Jesus was the will of God in action on the earth, wasn't he? Did he turn anybody away? Not one person that went to him that he turned away. He never said to some person, well, you know what? God wants you to look like that, be like that, act like that. He wants you to be sick. Until maybe he teaches you a big lesson. Well, how long is that, Lord? I don't know. He never said that. You can serve him better that way. No, he never said that to anybody. You can never find anywhere in the Bible. And trust me, our faith is dependent upon what's written in the pages of that Bible. We can't manufacture something that's not in there. Someone says, but what about Job's boils? Why would I want his boils when I can have Jesus' healing? Right? What about Timothy's stomach? Well, what about Jesus' stripes? See, the, the devil always puts your focus on the negative. Besides, Job was healed in nine months of everything in his life. They didn't want you to know that. Nine months, that was it. And he was completely free. Timothy's stomach, you, did you think about Epaphroditus and whatever he was going through? They all got healed. People want to ignore all that. But we know that Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Jesus had stripes on his back. And the thorn was people groups stirring up trouble, not a sickness or a disease. You can't manufacture your own doctrines to satisfy, listen, your doubt and unbelief. You can't do that. Why are you looking for a way to stay sick when you can find a better way to stay whole? Why are you fighting for the right to remain sick when you can fight for the right to be whole? Right? This is an aggressive type of faith. I understand that. But you know what? We're living in the last of the last days. And it's time for the church to rise up and take control and use our faith to receive the glory of God as he wants in our lives individually and in our church body. Where are we at? 2C? B. Faith is necessary... To receive the benefit already purchased by the blood of Jesus, it's necessary to receive that benefit. Faith under C is the, a prerequisite for receiving from God. We can't get saved without it. We can't please God without it. We can't get healed without it. We can't please God without it. We can't, and the list goes on and on and on. We can't fight the good fight of faith without it. We can't be preserved without it and so on. So it's a prerequisite that we must have faith to receive what God has provided for us in Christ. Under point three, doubt is one of the main things that prevents healing from flowing. If you don't believe that, read Mark's Gospel chapter uh, 6, verses 5 and 6. And it says that he could there do no mighty works. 
except laid his hands on a few sick, sickly and minor sickness and healed them. And he marveled at their unbelief. So he went about teaching, teaching to correct their thinking and help them understand how to operate in faith. What was the remedy to their doubt and unbelief? Proper teaching of the word of God. And that's exactly what he did. So uh, let's see. Doubt is one of the main things. Okay. Under point A, there is scriptural doubt and there is personal doubt. Scriptural and personal are your words. Both must be dealt with. Both of them got to be dealt with. Scriptural doubt. It is developed in the life of a person who hears the wrong teaching on the subject. And once again, people that either that teach it wrong will say, it's either you've got, got Paul's thorn in the flesh, or you've got Timothy's stomach, or you've got Joe's boils, and the list goes on and on about all these, this, this different stuff. And what they're doing is just trying to eliminate the Gospels. Jesus was the will of God in motion on the earth, and he healed all who came to him and didn't send one person away. Also, he was moved with compassion to heal the sick, and he's not less compassionate today as he was then. Why do they want to take it outside the Gospels when in the Gospels we have the perfect will of God in operation in Christ? So let's even say that, let's just say that Paul failed to receive. Epaphroditus failed to receive. What's that got to do with the perfect will of God in Christ? Nothing. I can fail to receive. You can fail to receive. Does that change the gospel? Does that change the will of God? People are dying every day and they're being lost to eternity. Am I right? But it's not the will of God that any should perish. Well, then the God's will is not being done. Is it God's fault? Does Jesus have to come and die for them again? No. Whose fault is it? The individual's. It's up to the individual to come to Christ. He's already done everything. Okay. Uh, B. Even strong believers can have doubt. You know that. Look, we don't just get to a place of faith and stay there, especially when you're facing all kinds of situations in the world today. A healing minister saw him. This is just a testimony. He saw uh, miracles. He prayed for others. But when he got cancer, he couldn't receive healing for himself. He felt unworthy to be healed, which created doubt. Once this doubt was dealt with, healing began to flow and the cancer disappeared. So you see that Faith is the conduit. He could pray for others and they get healed, but he couldn't receive it for himself. That's the difference between gifts and receiving by faith. Another had a stroke. It was a stroke victim whose right side was withered. He came in a wheelchair for prayer. Nothing happened. Upon questioning, he felt the paralysis. Listen to this. He felt the paralysis was punishment for past sins. Well, once the doubt was identified, he received forgiveness and healing. You see, the enemy will bring thoughts to our minds and make us think, well, you can't get healed because you know what you did before. And that's why this is just your punishment. You're just receiving your just rewards. Mm -mm. Jesus died for his sins, too. Can you say amen? All right. I'm going fast to get all of the, all the sins. So scriptural doubt is remedied through proper teaching. So when we're taught the right way, it'll eradicate this kind of spiritual doubt or, or this, this um, scriptural doubt. Unbelief prevented mighty works, is your next word, from being done. And you can read that for yourself. It's Mark 6. I just quoted it. It seems receiving from God has uh, more to do with one's faith than it does with God's will. Because you see, God's already willed it. That's a settled fact. So it's their faith. And that's why he went about teaching. So God's will is already established, is your next word. But it's one's faith, our faith, that determines the outcome. I know people get, oh, I mean, they get upset at you for saying that like as if, oh, let's figure this one out. Let's figure this one out. Let me see. Let me ask a question here. Who's perfect? You or God? Who's capable of failure? You or God? Who can make a mistake? You or God? So when we preach a message that says God's perfect and we're imperfect, that God doesn't lie, we can, we can maybe miss it. Uh, God can never fail, but we can fail. Why are people upset with that? Did Peter start to fall? Jesus bailed him out. But who was the one that was capable of failure? And did Jesus not pray and say to Peter, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not? Why would he pray that prayer? Why didn't he say, I pray that the devil never touches you again? 
said, no, 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 Peter, I'm praying your faith fail not. Because you see, it's your faith that determines whether or not you're going to walk with God as you should. Okay. Uh, let's see. Where are we at? D. Personal doubt is remedied by determining the condition of the heart and making proper adjustments. The condition of the heart and making proper adjustments. And Proverbs 4 that talks about, My son, attend to my words, incline your heart to my sayings, don't unpart from your eyes, keep it in the midst of your heart, they are life to those who find, health of all their flesh, and then protect your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, because out of it come the issues of life. So he's talking about how to protect the heart from all the other garbage that wants to get in there and undermine the faith that we have in God. So the condition of the heart is absolutely essential. For example, Naaman's pride had to be dealt with before he could receive healing. Notice, it was already given, provided for, all the instructions were there. It's like you read the instructions, right? They tell you exactly what to do, but then you don't do it. And you say, it didn't work. Well, why didn't it work? Because you didn't do it. Follow the step-by-step instructions. And when he finally changed, then, of course, he received his healing. Okay, those who feel unworthy to receive must get their eyes off themselves. Your words are unworthy in themselves. And focus on Jesus. He's the healer, and healing happens because of who he is, not who we are. It's as we look to him, healing begins to flow. James 5.16 talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. It's all about what he's done and us activating that. So our best hope to receive healing involves answering two questions. First, am I convinced... From the scriptures that healing belongs to me. Am I convinced? Second. Is there any doubt in my life. Or anything that could stop healing from manifesting in my body. Doubt or anything. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. Whatever it might be. Anxiety. I mean the list can go on and on about different things that can stop. Guilt. Condemnation and everything else. So we need to ask ourselves those questions. And if we do, we can adjust and praise God. Isn't it good to know that it's not based on us? If it was based on your performance, where would any of us be? Where would we be if it was based on my performance, your performance? None of us would make it. But praise God, it's based on the performance of the Son of God. Can you say amen? Amen.